Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. So it was April 25th, 2008, that I uh, finished my exams at Trinity Western University, got a ride with a friend to the Vancouver airport, and took a red-eye flight to London Heathrow Airport. Then I packed my carry-on so I wouldn't have to wait for my luggage, took the cab into a hotel that I had booked, and from there got ready, got dressed up in my suit, then proceeded from there to the Tower Bridge in London, where I had worked out with one of Amanda's friends, Laura, that I would propose to her. And she had been away in Albania at Bible school, and uh, then they had traveled for a few weeks following that, and their last stop was London, England. And that hour waiting on the bridge felt like an eternity. I, uh, man, I, I was so excited to surprise her, but everyone's question was, man, what if she says no? And I'm like, that would be awkward, because I even knew her seat on flying home, and I managed to get the seat right beside hers. And um, it would be a long flight if she said no. Luckily, we're sitting here this evening, two kids later, we know where, how the story ends. But surprises can bring us joy. And joy is the topic, the theme that I want us to look at tonight as we lean into Advent. Whether it's a gift that's left on your desk or at your home and it has your name on it and you're wondering what it is, or Landon and Kinsley's gifts that they picked for us today at the tables that we have no idea what they are, but they're wrapped nicely under the tree, uh, or even if it's just an a old friend that you haven't seen in years, they call you up or they knock on your door and they want to grab coffee. They, they can be surprises of good news. They can bring about this joy. I think what I also love about surprises is oftentimes they're relational. Um, it's involving others. And I just love, I don't know if I get it from my family, I, I'm a gift giver. I, I love surprising people with gifts. And for Amanda's birthday this past year, uh, there were just a couple things that I knew she would never buy for herself. So I thought, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get them for her. Uh, she ended up returning both of those things. So that was a surprise on me. But hey, I tried. <laughs> but tonight, as we look at the theme of joy, I also want us to look at God's spiritual strategy of surprise. Because very often, I don't think we expect a lot from our spiritual lives. We go to church, we read our Bibles, we have our usual amount of contact with other Christians, but it sometimes feels like we're just going through the motions. And why are we doing this again and again? And even with communion, I'm not going to lie, I, I've wrestled. I didn't grow up in a tradition where we had communion every week. And as we put together the services week after week, I sometimes am always like, oh man, where can we fit this in? And I forget that, no, there, there's a significance to why we do this every week. Uh, it reminds me of Dorothy Day. Um, I read her autobiography a few years back, and she found Christ through the Catholic Church. And she found a lot of their traditions to be very rote, to just be very um, repetitive. But she was also a social activist, and she found that the repetitiveness actually impacted her life when she was thrown in prison, standing up for people 
who didn't have a voice for themselves. And all of a sudden, she had the scripture memorized while she's spending her days and her nights in prison. But for the most part, I'd say more often than not, I'm not expecting a whole lot from God. I'm not expecting anything miraculous to happen. I've even admitted that with my, my story of healing back in June. I went to this healing service, and I was just shaking my head thinking, oh, why am I here? And, and I, I was even skeptical standing up for prayer. And then I still haven't taken medication since that day. So why is it that, that we don't expect these things from God? But I think that's what I love about this whole Christmas story, and especially this story in Luke 2 with the shepherds. Because the story of the angel's appearance to the shepherds in the field is a good reminder for us when we find ourselves in our ordinary day-to-day living. It reminds us that God can break in at any time. Something new can happen. Christ intervenes in our life. He encounters us, and he actually wants to be in this intimate relationship with us. And perhaps when we least expect it, I know I've shared my testimony several times, but in a nutshell, I was throwing a party for all my Christian friends I grew up with, and I was two sheets to the wind with alcohol. That's when Jesus met me. And because we have this example, and we see this example of Jesus breaking into the ordinary of these shepherds that night, It reminds me that he wants to continue to break into our ordinary. He wants to break into our lives day after day. So the first thing that I want to rest on is that Christ breaks in to the ordinary. Luke 2.8, as Jacqueline had read earlier, was, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. It's just an ordinary day, and these shepherds were not gathered waiting for anything to happen. They weren't weren't waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. They weren't waiting for an angel to appear. They're not even probably discussing big questions of life or theological perspectives. They're just doing their job, swapping stories and taking care of their sheep. They're probably sitting by a fire waiting for morning to come. And when it does, they'll do exactly as they did today. They'll tend the flock, they'll carry out their chores, and they'll do what they need to do to earn an honest day's wage. And that is what I love about this story. Because these shepherds are like us. Because if you think about it, the stuff that we do each day is pretty ordinary. We go to work, we fill up the car with gas, we take out the garbage, we clean the dishes, we sort laundry, look for a clean shirt, maybe do the sniff test, (laughs) smells good. (laughs) Clean the bathroom, wash our hands, talk on the phone, check email, Facebook, Instagram. Then we wake up and we do it all again tomorrow. Much of our life is filled with the ordinary. Not the stuff that's written in these spiritual journals. Not the stuff that sometimes we come to scripture and we see these huge moments happening because that's what was recorded. Most of our life is these ordinary times. But as this story unfolds, 
we see something profoundly spiritual taking place. God breaks into the ordinary. He visits these shepherds. And we can't underestimate the importance of these shepherds. Because these guys lived in the margins. They, they were considered outcasts. In fact, their testimonies wouldn't even be valid and held up in court because they weren't trusted. They were dirty. They were smelly. They worked with animals. Yet God used these shepherds as the first human witnesses that prophecy had been fulfilled, that the Messiah had been born. And this reveals to us the grace of God toward us. These shepherds represent the lowly and the humble who respond to God's message. And it also sharply contrasts that of the religious leaders. Because over in Matthew, which is the other recording of the Christmas narrative, you have King Herod calling together the chief priests and the religious leaders, trying to find out the, the timing and the location of where this baby was to be born. So they tell him, Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. But did they believe it? They're still hanging back in the, in the, the, uh, with the king. Did, did they actually believe what was being written? Because that's what they, how they behave and how the shepherds behave are two polar opposite things. So I just want to pause for a moment to reflect on the application that this has for our lives. Because does God still break into our ordinary lives to speak to us? Or are we just too busy or too distracted by Facebook, sports games, relationships, even church commitments? The biblical image of God is that he's always present with us. And as we, we talk about throughout the Christmas season especially, is one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's also a divine attribute, the omnipresence, that, that God is everywhere. But God moves towards us, and he comes near to our life situation. And in the same way that he, he came to the shepherds that night on a Judean hillside, he comes to us wherever we might be. David writes in Psalm 139, 7 to 10, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. But do we recognize God's presence? Do we recognize the voice of God in our lives? And do we truly believe that God still wants to break into our ordinary to reveal himself to us? So if so, what can we expect from God? C.S. Lewis, a famous author, probably best known for Chronicles of Narnia, um, is a theologian, uh, well-known, one of the most famous of the 21st century. He was an atheist until the age of 33. This is when God broke through and entered his ordinary, revealed himself to him. And Lewis referred to this moment where he encountered God as being surprised by joy. He later wrote a book by this same title, describing the encounter. And that's kind of where I'm getting this perspective 
of joy for tonight, is being surprised by joy. C.S. Lewis writes, in a sense, the central story of my life is about nothing else. It is that of an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. And I think, man, that just captures our Christian experience. Like th that moment when you, you come back to Jesus or you discover Jesus for the first time and you realize he's this living and active God and he's transforming your life. There's this experience and there's this joy that you just can't shake. And if I could, I would just love to live in, in those emotional experiences forever. But then we still have the world kind of trying to anchor us down. But that's why joy is not the same as happiness or pleasure. Because often joy and happiness, they're treated like they're synonymous, but joy is more of this disposition or this posture rather than a fleeting emotion. It's more grounded in, in this broader perspective rather than just a passing circumstance. And I think some of us, sometimes we chase after those moments again and again and again, and that's not bad, but we also have to ground ourselves in the larger picture of what joy and biblical joy truly is. It's that we do have this hope. It's that we do have these promises that God continues to keep over and over and over. I saw a great post recently on Facebook, and it reads, if you choose not to find joy in the snow, you'll, you'll have less joy in your life, but still the same amount of snow. And I thought, how true is that? <laughs> it, if you choose not to find joy in the snow, you'll have less joy in your life, but still the same amount of snow. And that's one thing Amanda and I are getting used to again, moving from BC back to Ontario, is we're not wearing flip-flops in February, and sometimes we lose the joy. But it's more than just these passing circumstances or moments. It's this grounding and posturing ourselves in true joy. And the ultimate source of joy is found in God. And God even desires for us to have joy. I think that's something that sometimes catches people off guard. I remember growing up as a kid, and I would tell my friends that I went to church, and they're like, why do you go there? Like, you're not allowed to do anything if you go to church. I'm like, that's not true. And, and I think we've done a disservice if that's what everyone's viewing church as. It's just that we can't do things. God wants us to be filled with joy. Jesus himself tells his disciples in John 15 that his goal was for his joy to be in them, and that it may be complete. Kind of like this picture of peace last week, this, this wholeness, this completion. That's what Jesus offers us by being in relationship with him. But this is the important piece to remember. Joy is not merely our own calculated response to positive or promising circumstances. Joy is also an expression of the supernatural life of God working within us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. As we journey with God in relationship with God, we're filled with his joy. 
we overflow with joy. We start to bear that fruit. Are we aware of the possibility that God is trying to break into our ordinary lives in order to speak to us and in order to bring us joy? Now, I know it's so easy to talk about these moments of joy and great surprise and good news. But I'm also aware that some of us are sitting here today and our hearts are heavy. Perhaps you've lost a loved one, like the the whole service was on Wednesday at the service of hope. And there was just this vulnerability and yet heaviness that people brought with them. Or perhaps you've received a not-so-good medical diagnosis. Maybe you're longing to have someone to share your life with. I don't know the exact details of what's going on, but I do know this. Christ's message of joy, the, the surprise, the good news, his message of joy brings us comfort. Verses 10 to 12 in Luke chapter 2, the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds were terrified by these angels. The the fear that it's talking about here, sometimes we, we might think of it as this reverent fear of like, oh, it's angels. Like, no, this is just like crap their pants fear. Like, like, pass me my brown pants, please. This, this is, a, this is a, a, a terrified feeling. And I'm sure many of us can relate to different moments where we've just been scared to death, whether it's, uh, my dad used to play this game, Mr. Inglehart. I'm not sure if I've shared this before. He was our next door neighbor. And uh, I don't know why we picked his name, but he'd go hide after dinner and turn out all the lights. And we'd be like, Mr. Inglehart. And he'd just jump out and scare us at the last minute. Just like, ah! And, uh, but these angels, these shepherds again, they weren't expecting the angels to show up. And all of a sudden, these angels out of nowhere show up. But the angels calm their fear. The angels they declare what God's doing. Because I think if I were there as a shepherd or if an angel suddenly appeared to me, man, I would recognize my insignificance. I'd be going over all the things that, oh man, I shouldn't have done these things today. But the angels aren't here to check their resume, to check their credentials, to follow up on how they've been doing. The angels are here to declare what God (coughs) is up to. It's not about the shepherds. It's all about God. And I believe what the shepherds and us can appreciate is that humanity, we don't have anything to fear when God moves in grace. And this is something that the world for generations has wrestled with because the gods at that time were all gods where you fear that you're terrified you want them on your side you don't want to upset them but here we have god who moves in love and grace and moves toward us and he comforts the shepherds 
as he moves in grace. So Christ's message of joy brings comfort. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be all bliss. But Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 11, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Man, that's the message translation. And I love how Eugene Peterson captures Jesus' words there and the, the dynamics that are brought into that. Jesus is offering us comfort. Jesus is offering us rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He's not someone we have to fear. And isn't it exciting when someone comes up to you, though, and says, can you keep a secret? Like, man, my ears perk up. I'm like, yes, yes, I can. They pique our interest. And here you have angels appearing to these shepherds who are being entrusted with the good news of the birth of the Savior. They were selected as the ones to receive the first birth, birth announcement of the promised Messiah. Like, we know that that's not how culture views it, that we always think that it's the more powerful, the, the higher up, the, the upper class. But God chooses shepherds. In human eyes, they're the least likely candidates to be trusted with God's news. And yet there it is. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to judge you. The angel didn't appear to condemn them, review their past. They just shared the good news and trusted them with this message. God chose ordinary followers to bring his gospel to all people. And what a beautiful picture that God would come to these shepherds and say, hey, can I tell you something? Paul writes in Colossians, God wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know his rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. God desires to speak to every person about the coming of Jesus, because all of humanity, whether we recognize it or not, is impacted by his coming. And this this should be an encouragement for us in our witness for Christ, in sharing our story. Because we too are entrusted with the good news of a Savior. We have hope. We have joy. And Christ wants everyone to know this. Christ wants you to know him and the joy of his good news. So how will you respond to him and his message? How has God come to you and impacted your life? And has made a difference. Our story needs to be heard by those who don't share the hope that we have as believers. And I think how the shepherds respond is just this great picture of overflowing worship. Because God's joy brings us overflowing worship. By breaking into the ordinary, by giving us a message of comfort, by giving us a story to share with others. And we actually see two responses from the, the shepherds. First, in verse 15, we see them respond to the angel's message. It says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Their first response was belief. They believed in what had been entrusted to them. It was this moment of awareness. They didn't say, let's go see if this has happened. They believed the message. And then their second response is it's more of this overall response. Luke 2, verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The shepherds' response was nothing short of overflowing worship. This, this universal need to praise God. All creation. is praising and crying out to God. And if you've never heard, I wish I could think of the title, there's a Louis Giglio sermon. He's a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia. And he talks about all of creation, kind of groaning and crying out for God. Um, I'll try and f figure out the title and share that with you because it's an amazing message how he actually goes in and has recordings of creation. And he puts them together in this pretty cool song. But our praise as humans, as people, our praise lifts up our soul. And I believe it opens us up to be receptive to God, to what he's doing. Praise given to God benefits us by refreshing our souls. See, the shepherds, they had to tell their story. Having seen the infant Jesus, they began glorifying and praising God just as the multitude of angels had done. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Overflowing worship. What the shepherds discovered that night is that God does what he says. And this is still true for us today. You see, our culture is open to embracing the Christmas story, but it never seems to get past baby Jesus. And I was going to show a clip from Talladega Nights. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a good Will Ferrell clip. And they're around the table talking about who they like to pray to. And he's, he likes to pray to baby Jesus. And that's the only funny part in the movie, so I don't recommend it. But um, I think how true is that today in our culture? That we don't mind celebrating baby Jesus. But we don't want to look and see what Jesus is all about beyond that. We kind of like the niceness and the cuteness of the manger. But even if culture does, or if some people do look at Jesus beyond that, and as he, he grew up and to be, become a man, they often just see Jesus as one teacher among many. But let's stop and look and remember that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is Christ, the Lord. He's no longer in a crib. He's no longer confined to a manger. He is now seated at the right hand of God, aware of what we do and what we say. And I just think that who the baby Jesus was is nothing compared to who he is. Just as Mary pondered all these things in her heart, I think we have to do the same. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know the future because we know the one who does 
We just have to know him, lean into him. Even Mary, she's, she's sitting here having just given birth to Jesus, and she had seen nothing yet. And I think neither have we. God's only just beginning to reveal his story and his involvement with us through Jesus. The reason for our rejoicing starts with Jesus in the story of his birth, but it doesn't stop there. He's involved in our lives even now. So the Christmas story is only the beginning of God's new work. But let's not keep it to ourselves. So I want to leave you with a challenge. A challenge of telling your story of joy. Of how God came to you and met you in the ordinary. Perhaps you've never experienced this joy. Then I want to challenge you to ask God to break into your ordinary. Speak to you. Because the thing is, you can be as skeptical as I'll get out and go to a healing service and think this ain't happening. And you walk out of there and you're thinking, what just happened? (laughs) God wants to break into our ordinary. God does break into our ordinary. But will we open ourselves up to be receptive to him this Christmas season? So when's the last time you've thought about your story? Life story, your journey, your encounter with Christ. Do you remember when God encountered your ordinary life? Perhaps think about how he wants to use you and your story to encourage others. And just four tips in doing that. Be real, be relational. Tell your own story. Invite people to study the Bible and overflow with worship. Because the amazing thing is God still entrusts us today with the good news of great joy for all people. So my prayer for all of us that in the days ahead that that we will be continually surprised by joy.